and now there you go everything changes and now people freeze up and start talking like like oh my god i'm on camera so anyway jeff listen it's nice to chat to you um, and you totally unscripted we're just gonna have a chat um you reached out to me you whatsapp me and said hi jeff peel here <laughs> we met didn't we a few months back that was uh that's right yeah we we met at, a, at the together uh dinner or that was which it. was i don't know just short was it after christmas or before christmas i can't quite remember but anyway we uh we chatted over dinner and it was uh and obviously shared quite a lot of uh, ideas and thoughts about uh, the current predicament we're all in yeah so you're you're particularly upset about something that happened recently didn't weren't you tell me what was it you're upset about the spiked spikedness <laughs> Yeah, it was it was bizarre. I have to say, um, you know, I, I I have to say, Spike actually has been very good over the years. You know, and uh, uh, you know, I so think so. For those the, who don't the, know what spiked is, what is spiked? How could I position it? Well, spiked uh, was founded a few years ago, um, and it it's got a strange history. Uh, the the people behind the the title work came from a kind of left leaning background um, and it kind of emer- it emerged particularly during the the brexit campaign because they were very staunchly pro brexit and i was involved in the in the brexit campaign as well in terms of um, some involvement with vote leave but more particularly business for britain and um, and spiked was a you know, we, I, I certainly perceived Spike to be a voice from the left uh, that was in favour of, of, of Brexit. And, you know, there, there were obviously a number of, of people, Claire Fox, for example, who was also involved. In, her, her sister, I think, was involved in Spike in the early days. Um, but Claire was, uh, was typical of those from the left who were of the view. And Tony Benn obviously would have been from, from that ilk as well. Um, who expressed the view that the United Kingdom would be better off re-establishing its sovereignty and get get out of the European Union, um, and also they they embraced a number of um, uh, arguments that um, you know would be seen to be coming from the from the right, you know, libertarian arguments, uh, you know, very opposed to the the tendency towards identitarian politics and Brendan O'Neill's articles on that subject were were very interesting but um, but we noticed um, an odd development um, that that spiked seemed to becoming more and more aligned with organizations that would be seen to, or were, were certainly perceived to be free market think tanks such as the Institute of Economic Affairs um, and uh, you know, so cr- people like Christopher Snowden from the Institute of Economic Affairs started speaking out against the campaigners during lockdown. Uh, campaigners who were saying that lockdown removed some fundamental freedoms, uh, and and that we we needed to uh, determine or assess whether these removals of freedom freedoms were appropriate in a democracy. And Christopher Snowden started attacking many people. Uh, who are expressing that view, even though he came from a free market think tank. And Spiked started um, also developing this sort of strand of thinking or editorial line that those who opposed lockdowns and 
uh, and and oppose the mandating of vaccines were in some way disingenuous or didn't represent British values. It, it was very, very odd. And then, of course, it all came to a head really with the uh, Fraser Myers piece in Spiked recently, which uh, essentially did a character assassination on Andrew Bridgen, saying essentially that he shouldn't have gone out on a limb, that he was coming across as a conspiracy theorist by having the audacity to suggest that um, uh, the vaccinations, the COVID-19 vaccinations may not work and, and or indeed may be damaging. Um, and then uh, GB News featured both um, Fraser Myers and Andrew in a, uh, a debate um, uh, and hosted by Andrew Doyle. And um, it, it, it again, Fraser sort of continued with the ad hominem onslaught on Bridgen. Um, and it left a lot of us thinking, what on earth is going on? It spiked. You know, where, where has this come from? Um, and, you know, I, I just, you know, if you look at that kind of scenario, you wonder, well, is there an agenda here? You know, the, the thing about the media these days, and particularly independent media organizations, is that in order to survive, they either depend on advertising revenue, which spiked obviously couldn't because it's a relatively small independent title, or it, uh, it depends on funding. And, um, you know, it got me to look at, at some of the funding sources that, that um, Spiked has obviously availed of in order to sustain itself. And um, the question is, and I think that the Fraser Myers article uh, raised the question, um, are the funders of Spiked beginning to pull some strings? Um, and are the journalists... Um, now showing, in fact, that they're, they're not independent-minded at all, that they're um, operating on behalf of a number of corporatist backers. So that, that I think, was, was fascinating. Uh, and and the, the, I think Bridgen came out of it extremely well. He didn't engage in a, a counter-ad hominem attack on Fraser Myers. He, he focused on the evidence. Uh, and, and indeed, his various speeches in the House of Commons focused on the on the evidence as well. So, I think he came out of it extremely well. Yeah, I think. What was your What were your thoughts? Yeah, I think it, it definitely is a, a kind of hit piece. I mean, from what I've seen of Spiked online, it's an online kind of news platform, magazine, whatever you want to call it, um, alternative independent media. Um, would you say that you're left leaning as well? No, absolutely not. And this is why it's caused a degree of angst, because I would have agreed with an awful lot of um, Spike's output. You know, I, I would I, I was going to say I'm right leaning, but I, I, I'm not. I, I would probably define myself as a, a more of a pure play classical liberal, you know, a libertarian. And um, and interestingly, you know, I uh, in the past had a relationship with the uh, with the Institute of Economic Affairs, one of one of the free market think tanks that I've just referred to earlier, um, you know, I was a media fellow and, and a spokesperson on occasion. In fact, I appeared on Any Questions, BBC Any Questions, during the Brexit debate, kind of wearing a um, an IEA uh, hat, 
uh, and therefore it's it's been very strange to see this this uh, play out in that a number of these organizations appear to be owned essentially by corporate backers so no i'm not i'm very much not of the left i'm i, I would be a, a libertarian free market advocate um I was pro-Brexit and I'm a former Conservative Party councillor. I was a Conservative councillor in the southeast of England in the southwest Hertfordshire constituency. Um, and I was a, a branch chairman of the Conservative Party and, um, and campaigned for the Conservative Party uh, many, many years ago during the, the, Thatcher, the tail end of the Thatcher administration. So, no, I'm definitely not of the left. I think, I think the whole idea of left and right is nonsensical, though. A lot of a lot of people Absolutely. who I see, a lot of people who I see who are on the left, who are meant to be anti-war and peaceniks, are the ones pushing, you know, and beating the war drums these days. You know, that it's an upside-down world. You know, Neil Oliver, I spoke to him recently, and you know, he, he just said everything's upside down. You know, nothing makes sense anymore. Mm. And left is right, and yeah. right is left. I mean, I, I would argue the Conservative Party is as left and as socialist as you can get. You know, we we just printed money we just did furlough lockdowns you know what's more left than that um I, I think everything's blurred i've a long time ago come to the conclusion we don't actually have a left and right we've just got a uni party and um the population is fooled into voting one or the other but i think coming back to spiked online i think i think you know you reached out to me you, you seemed quite upset and i definitely agree it was a hit piece against andrew bridgen which i think is incredible you've got one mp out of 650 who's not towing the line and the line is safe and effective and he's got the courage or the stupidity to stand up and say i don't know if it's safe and it doesn't look bloody effective and for that he's absolutely being destroyed and what happens when you can't win an argument is you go for the character you go for character assassination you go for you know let's destroy their credibility let's destroy their personality let's call them an anti-semite a racist a bigot throw in some sexual misconduct you know something like that so, to be honest i'm not really surprised he's taking the kind of hit that he is it tells me he's mm. over the target you know he's over the target the fact that everyone is coming at I also hate to tell you this, Jeff, but I am not surprised it spiked either. I feel that, you know, there are funders and there's always an agenda and the agenda is fine. It's the agenda is to, you know, to divide us and, you know, all these arguments like trans, pro-trans, and then you have to have a counter argument and, and then you just have people fighting amongst each other. What the agenda is although, you know, is you're not allowed to discuss vaccine efficacy. You're not allowed to go to vaccines. You're not allowed to be question them. So I think whoever the backers of Spiked are, they've basically said, you're, let's play ball with the trans issue and the woke, and you can, be, you can talk about all of this stuff because you need a counter-narrative for a to-and-fro debate. But when it comes to vaccines, don't go there, destroy this guy's credibility. I mean, that's frankly my take on things would you agree yeah it, it, it would appear to be the case yeah um you know the the background to this is that you know there were george george monbiot who would definitely be of the left and i, I would tend not to agree with him on most things but he's very he, good when he he's when from he the does the, the kind of from the guardian yeah and he wrote a piece um 
some time ago about the the dark money, you know, that was dominating some of the uh, right so-called right wing think tanks and and NGOs as well. And he wrote a, a piece uh, a few years ago, I think it was back in 2018, where he he looked at the some of the funding sources for uh, for you know a number of these organisations, but he actually referred to to spiked um, and. To, you know the article. We can maybe I don't know if we can post the link to the article uh, in this podcast when it goes out. But um, in that article, he referred to the fact that that spiked um, the kind of strange collection of of left wingers that kind of emerged to create spiked was funded in the early days uh, by some of the pharmaceutical companies, but also interesting the the Coke brothers, uh, the Coke the Coke Coke Industries. Is a, a huge private sector. And by the way, Coke is spelled K-O-C-H. Coke Industries is a big private, uh, privately owned corporation in America, and they have huge interests in the in the chemicals industry for, uh, and also pharmaceuticals. Or they they kind of hang off the coattails of the pharmaceutical sector. Um, and the uh, you know, for example, one of their in, investee companies is a, is a is a company called Resilience, and Resilience is a big manufacturer of pharmaceutical products, and indeed uh, manufactures uh, on a con- on a subcontract basis uh, the um, mRNA uh, uh, Moderna uh, COVID nineteen vaccines. So Resilience, funded by Cook. Uh, is a manufacturer for Moderna's mRNA vaccines. And they also manufacture on a subcontract basis for AstraZeneca as well. Uh, now, interestingly, when Spiked was created, it got, uh, and this is in the public domain, it was referred to in George uh, Monbiot's into, uh, uh, article um, and in other places as well, got $300,000 of funding through a U.S. Uh, parent company or holding company, we don't quite know. Um, and so therefore you have a, an organization being funded by, by Coke Industries Foundation, their charitable foundation, which incidentally funds a lot of political lobby groups and organizations that tend to pursue right-wing causes. Now, there may be certain causes that are funded by the Koch foundations that I would agree with, you know, for example, the whole climate change agenda. But I reach my conclusions based on common sense and logic, you know, <laughs> whereas sometimes you, you get the feeling that these corporatist funding organizations and philanthropic foundations are funding organizations because they have vested corporate interests. So, for example, you would imagine that if, if the uh, Koch foundations are funding Spiked and Spiked then starts writing articles against the, the efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccines, there, there might be a price to pay. And so, 100%. therefore, we have had many instances, many tweets by, by Fraser Myers, for example, saying that uh, the... Uh, the vaccines are effective. No, no evidence provided, by the way. The, vac- the vaccines are unquestionably effective. You know, AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer—you you name it—because it just happens that their funders are manufacturing Moderna's vaccines, manufacturing uh, manu- manufacturing AstraZeneca products, 
uh, and to have huge uh, interests in the pharmaceutical, uh, in the in the, the petrochemical sector. So therefore, are quite happy if uh, if Spike puts out messaging which counters the uh, the net zero narrative, which I actually agree with. <laughs> so it's it's a bizarre corporatist web of funding. And then separately, of course, we have, you know, just this week, we heard that um, the, the Irish government uh, has decided to implement an absolutely draconian anti-free speech statute, uh, which will potentially um, uh, criminalize people for just holding data uh, or, or content uh, provided by independent free media, you know, which counters the official uh, narrative of the government, which so essentially is, is a pharmaceutical narrative. Sorry, is that in uh, Ireland? And, uh, and in that case, yeah, in Ireland. Uh, the, this this just hit the media this week. Um, that's really the, funny the, because and, they've, and the, they've just that's that's really funny. It's, everything happens to lockstep step everywhere because America's just got a new board of Ministry of Truth. The UK is mm -hmm. pushing for misinformation, disinformation, you know, czars and censorship laws. And now you're telling me Ireland's got, I mean, I think they're really scared of this independent, you know, voice out there through different multiple platforms. It's They just want the one narrative and you can't question it. And I, I find that quite scary. To Absolutely. Ask. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre. And I, I listened to it on my Twitter uh, feed, if anybody wants to look, and I have a pinned tweet um, and there's a video in there. Um, uh, a, a guy arguing that this 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 statute, this this new law, um, it, you know, actually went against the government's own consultation. And remember, there is a, a coalition government in Ireland, the, the current uh, Taoiseach Prime Minister of Ireland, uh, his party only received some something like I don't know twenty percent of the popular vote in the last general election in Ireland. His own consultation, the government consultation on this new statute, showed that eighty percent of of the people who uh, contributed to the consultation were opposed to the legislation, and the legislation, as I say, potentially will make criminal people who simply are reading and consuming or spreading information which is counter to the, the pharmaceutical state narrative that the Irish government is pursuing. And I, I refer to it as a pharmaceutical state because it is. Ireland is the biggest exporter of pharmaceutical-related chemicals and, uh, and products that go to you know, pharmaceutical manufacturer in mainland Europe outside of the United States. It's the biggest exporter of pharmaceutical-related chemicals and pharmaceutical products outside of the United States. Second only to the world's biggest economy is little old Ireland, largely wow. because it's a tax haven. And, and of course, now the Irish government is implementing the censorship laws, which will mean that people are, are effectively gagged from saying anything that counters this this narrative. Um, and interestingly, in that little video on my Twitter stream, the, the guy who's speaking refers to the fact that a number of the NGOs that have been campaigning uh, in Ireland and, and supporting the, the government's line have been funded by George Soros, obviously from the left. 
So you've got these sort of alt-right uh, libertarian, so-called libertarian organizations or, or right-of-center funding organizations and left-leaning funding organizations essentially defining the nature of our democracies. You know, Ireland was uh, was named in uh, The Economist magazine recently as one of the most democratic nations in the world, and yet now has the most draconian censorship laws. Uh, it is absolutely astonishing. But these actors, these funders, string pullers, puppeteers are active at levels that we have never seen before and in ways that are undermining the, the basis of our democracies, not just in Ireland, but in the United Kingdom and most of the West. And as you say, increasingly in the United States as well. I, I think the whole world, frankly. I mean, you talk about funding of Spike, but I mean, if you look at even the Daily Mail, the Guardian, the BBC, they're all being funded by Bill and Gates, Melinda Foundation and God knows how many hundreds of millions of pounds have been funded to them. Even the government, the B, you know, the UK government, I think was the biggest spender on ad, ad, advertisement, you know, over COVID, half a billion potentially. You know, so you've got the government and these big foundations, so-called philanthropic, you know, philanthropic um, organizations pumping in millions to our so-called free press. And, you know, if, if anyone with even one bit of insight um, has noticed or reflected over the last three years. We've not had a free press. We've had one viewpoint, one narrative. Anyone who dares question it is shot down. You're a quack, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're an idiot, racist, bigot, anti-Semite, you name it. You know, if you just look at what happened to, you know, um, Neil Oliver when he spoke out, he was suddenly got attacked for being anti-Semitic. Um, you've got Mark Stein, uh, he, he had to leave mm -hmm. GB News, you know, and GB News is meant to be this independent platform. And suddenly, you know, he's off. He's been kicked out. And you just you wonder how free our press is. You've got Ofcom, which is an unarm, a propaganda arm of the government. This is the narrative. This is a COVID narrative. You, you're not allowed to question it. I don't know about you, but my my whole trust and faith in all of our institutions is totally broken. I, I don't believe we've, we live in a democracy anymore. Um, all these no. all these structures that you're talking about, far right, far left, I think that's what it is. We're, we're just being manipulated. We're, we're given this illusion that there's choice and debate when actually it's one agenda, which is the rich get, the uber rich gets even richer and get even more yeah. power and more control and us little plebs at the bottom give away more sovereignty, more power and feed feed their unsatiable hunger and predatory nature. I mean, that's the only way I, I see it, buddy. Yeah, and, and I, th I think the these organizations that are in the background string uh, pulling the strings, you know, they they obviously can provide life changing amounts of money to people and uh, and people are depending, dependent on an income, you know. Um, the, the, the power play takes advantage of the fact that people have to pay their mortgages, they have to eat. Um, and since, you know, I, I, I but prior to uh, the, the COVID uh, scam hitting uh, our, our, our shores, um, I was working as, a, you know, I've been a, an independent consultant for most of my career. 
and I was working on contract with the the government, and and then COVID happened and lockdown happened, and in fact, um, I stuck around in in that role. Um, I think for nine months uh, after you know Mar- the March twenty twenty lockdown, and um, in the end, I just simply couldn't tolerate what the rule, you know, I couldn't tolerate the fact that I was having to say things that I didn't believe in. I wasn't able to travel. I was working for the trade department, you know, the Department for International Trade, and I couldn't travel. So I didn't really see any point. It was clear that the policies were being defined uh, in any case. And it was clear that supranational organizations were increasingly influencing the the policy of the United Kingdom. And we were about to go into a a second national lockdown when I I tendered my resignation from that particular role. Um, But yeah, you're you're right. It's clear that the whole nature of our democracies and our civil society has changed fundamentally. And, And of course, I think it's caused all of us to look back on our lives prior to March 2020 and think, were we deluded? You know, where did we not see it happening? Uh, you know, it, and but the fact that I was able to leave that role was a function of my age and relative wealth. You know, but there are many people who are trapped in a situation where they have to pay lip service. I think that applies to journalists, and certainly, you know, the, the organisation I think that is has behaved most shamefully is is the BBC. You know, the, the fact that they have been accepting of their manipulation uh, so fundamentally that it, it doesn't even resemble uh, a media organization any longer. It is just simply a UK propaganda organization. And the fact that the mainstream, the, the, the rest of the mainstream media is content to parrot the nonsense that they're required to parrot means that the journalism profession, I think, has suffered in ways that it'll never be able to recover from. And and the independent media, which which often is composed of people like us, who are just appalled at what's what's happening, has of course thrived despite the onslaught, despite the fact that they've been deplatforming the, the despite the fact that we have no ability to raise any money. <laughs> But it's that passion to restore the, those aspects of our lives that we so cherished that I think that organizations like Substack uh, and uh, and the new, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, the new Twitter, um, at least they show that there are people out there with some um, some decency. And, and respect for the fundamental aspects of our democracies that mean that maybe we'll survive this. Uh, you know, and there are indicators, you know, I interviewed um, Andrew Bridgen on my own, my own Substack a few weeks back um, after I think he had just had lost even membership of the Conservative Party. But this is a guy who got 63% of the popular vote in his constituency. He first contested the the constituency of Northwest Leicestershire, what, in 2010. And he built on his majority at every election since, so much so that his majority 
uh, was, as I say, 63%, 63% of the popular vote. And yet he was summarily dismissed from the parliamentary party of the Conservative Party uh, because he quoted somebody who said that the the vaccine intervention was the worst thing since the Holocaust, you know, uh, one of the most damaging things since the Holocaust. Um, and and that's that not was even a offensive. valid observation. That, yeah, it's not even offensive. And you're 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 remembering a, a terrible period in human history and noting what a terrible period it is and and making people remember the whole point of Holocaust Memorial is lest we forget. So we do not make the same mistakes again. And for that, he got punished. I, I just I just don't even understand. It's crazy. Yeah. Punished and not only, but then they, and by the way, this happened to me as well. So I, I, I suppose it's for that reason I, I empathize so much. I, I wasn't a member of parliament, but I was, um, I was, I was the uh, Northern Ireland area uh, vice chairman uh, of the Conservative Party. This has gone back a few years ago when David Cameron was leader. And at that time, the Conservative Party decided to enter into a partnership with the Ulster Unionist Party. Um, and I was appalled at this, you know, for me, Northern Ireland politics reek of sectarianism and bigotry. And, uh, and here we had the Conservative Party uh, entering into a strategic pact with the Ulster Unionist Party, which in incidentally was falling to pieces electorally. It wasn't achieving a, a significant vote in any election, pretty much the DUP was dominating and continues to dominate. And of course, we've seen the total bifurcation of, uh, of the sectarian vote in, in Northern Ireland. And we were seeing that particularly during Cameron's leadership of the Conservative Party. And the expectation that the Conservative Party could come in and win any sizable majority, I thought was laughable, uh, particularly in conjunction with the Ulster Unionist Party. And for that, I, I was expelled from from the part I was I was elected as a an officer of the Conservative Party in the Northern Ireland area but the Conservative Party took the decision that because I wasn't towing the the line and wasn't coming out with the appropriate messaging that I would be expelled as an elected officer of the party and then I saw what was happening to Andrew and that's why I was very Sorry, keen was to this, interview was him. this from and central was this from central conservative party in oh London yeah. See, Eric, Eric it went right up to the party board it went to Eric Pickles at the time was uh, was chair of the, uh, the the party board and I was expelled as a as an officer and then ultimately expelled as a member of the party um, and, and that was because I uh, believed uh, sufficiently in, in what I considered important, that I, I, I believe that the Conservative Party should respect non-sectarian uh, uh, politics. And, and, uh, and uh, in the same way as Andrew Bridgen felt that the Conservative Party should respect scientific evidence, which went against uh, the government's narrative. And of course, the government has invested vastly into into these vaccines. You know, they have been essentially tied up in knots by the contractual agreements with uh, with the pharmaceutical companies, and and the, and of course, they appointed uh, you know essentially useful useful puppets to administer their um, their policies in in relation to COVID response, like Matt Matt Hancock 
is a public laughing stock, but easily manipulated. And and in, in that scenario, um, the fact that a single member of parliament with a huge majority in this constituency could get up and say, I do not agree, and I was wrong. That was the other thing that, that Bridgen did. He said he was wrong. He was wrong to appear in public getting injected. He was wrong to argue that uh, that people should get this vaccine because he hadn't investigated it thoroughly at that point. And maybe he hadn't been exposed to the evidence. But that takes a tremendous amount of guts. And, and, and that scene where he was standing up in the House of Commons, making a speech in a chamber that had been emptied by the whips on both sides of the House of Commons, will be indelibly printed in my mind. You know, it takes so much guts to to go out on a limb and speak as an independent-minded member of parliament representing his constituents, many of whom were damaged by lockdown or damaged by the vaccines. And um, I have to say that he uh, is, has been remarkably brave and uh, and I thought needed the support of the community and the media uh, in in that effort, but of course got absolutely none, and then was derided by spiked. So, um, in in my own little way, I thought a bit of solidarity was in order. Hundred percent, hundred percent, Jeff. I, I I'll never forget that scene where someone from the Conservative Party crosses the floor to the Labour side and tells them, "Come on, let's get up, let's go now." I I, I was absolutely yeah. shocked, and you know, I've interviewed Andrew and. He's genuine. I really believe he's genuine. He he had genuine remorse and regret for his role with the vaccine, Pushat. And he said he was duped and he apologizes for that. Um, and now he's trying to make amends at much great cost, personally, financially, from his career point of view. I mean, he's got nothing to gain. I mean, that's the thing. People like him, people like me speaking out, you know, being called a quack, a conspiracy theorist, you know, a misinformation doctor, whatever you know, we've got nothing to gain and everything to lose. I absolutely not. I'm 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 47. I've still got a stupid mortgage and a very young family, and you know they they could they could hurt me very easily. And to, in some respects, they already have. You know, a lot of the <laughs> doctors have stopped referring patients to me because I I went against the mandates and, and I'm speaking out against the vaccine. So a lot of the do- local doctors have stopped referring patients to me. So, you know, it's financially hit yeah. me and, you know, I sat there with Andrew and we talked about this, but, you know, what are we meant to do? We, are we meant to just stay quiet and complicit? You know, we can't do that. You know, what kind of future do we want our children to grow up in? You know, this is, you know, I'm, I, I hate to say this. I'm, I'm a patriot. I love my country. I love Britain. Uh, I love our history. And um, we've made some mistakes, but which country hasn't? But my whole idea of what, kind of nation I lived in has been shattered. You know, we, we live in a techno fascist pharma corporate, you know, landscape and people need to wake up to that and realize everything is not as it seems The the media is parroting a, a line from the big pharma corporations. There isn't any true investigative news or journalism it is really just propaganda or it's fear and anxiety um, or distraction. That's another good one. They love to distract you from the real issues. Yeah, and, 
and the, distra- uh, the, the the coronation, of course, was a was a great distraction as well. And the again, the the narrative, you know, I when I when I saw Penny Mordaunt wandering along with her sword, um, you know, more power to her being able to hold that that sword aloft. But the the you know, and and maybe I'm beginning to sound a wee bit conspiratorial here. I, you know, unashamedly will say that maybe uh, I am being a conspiracy theorist. But the well, they've got, way, they've got a Jeff. They've got a good you know, track record, so you're you're not doing badly there. <laughs> you know what on earth was that about? You know, for a, a a member of of Parliament. You know, okay, she's involved in the Privy Council or something with the, uh, you know, the fronds round her neck, the 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 sword. You know, it was just visually so evocative of those supranational organizations, the World Health Organization, the United Nations. It it didn't reflect true British values because it reflected more the values of our new king, which are not British. They are they're globalist. And uh, I, I I must say I just I, I could I could not watch that and you know I have never been particularly a a Republican I, you know I've always thought that the the monarchy represents more upside than down you know I, I take the argument you know that we wouldn't have the levels of tourism that we would have if if it weren't for the monarchy I you know etc and to be honest I never really got that hung up on it uh, but but here we had. Uh, a, a monarch sort of parading globalist idolatry in ways I find really quite repulsive to the extent that I had to turn it off. Um, and, you know, I, and I, but it's a distraction, you're right. And he I couldn't I, even I, I, get I, I, I couldn't turn it celebrities off. for his concert. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> Jeff, I couldn't turn it off because I never turned it on in the first place. Yeah, I, I wasn't. You know, I wasn't you're right. That was probably the best way. I was not interested. What is it? 200, 250 million pounds they spent on that. That stupid extravaganza. Yeah. That massive distraction. Yeah. I mean, I don't. He's not. He's not my king. Is he your king? Absolutely not. And to, and to swear allegiance to somebody who has only recently really sworn allegiance to. You know, he spoke at the 50th anniversary of the World Economic Forum, lauding the organization that it was some sort of peace loving um, uh, definer of, of, of our, our futures. You know, it isn't. He, well, the, the, well, he signed it, it up. He doesn't He's, speak for us. Yeah, he signed up to the whole WEF um, uh, 2030 agenda. He's, he's, he's along with his dad, um, the late, you know, Prince Philip. And his son, Prince William, he thinks there's too many people on this planet. Op- overpopulation is a problem. Um, and the people who think there's too many people also like the idea of getting less people, so depopulation. Um, and then, you know, mm. he signed up to the whole climate narrative. Um, and he thinks, you know, the problem is, you know, we're burning too much carbon and there's too many people and all this nonsense. I don't believe in that. It's funny how these royal royalists can have, you know, lots of big, massive mansions and fly around in their jets. Um, but we're we're the ones that are meant to be locked up in 15 minute cities and consume less and eat less and own less and own nothing, to be honest, and be happy. I'd love to see him own nothing mm-hmm. and be happy. Uh, the hypocrisy is just wild. Yeah. But it's the people, the people lining up in the streets, waving flags. And this is a problem. We give 
power to these individuals. They have no power except what we give them. And unfortunately, yeah. there's too many people who are willing to give it. Now, you're, you've got your Substack, The New Era. Is that correct? That's right, yeah. So, so tell, I, I tell started me about that. that. Um, well, um, I, I was involved, it, it, you know, I suppose like you, when, when March 2020 happened, um, and, I, and it, it, it wasn't two weeks, it ended up being months and then yep. years. And then vaccine rollout and mandates and removal of our our, our freedoms and civil liberties. Um, I, I I thought, what the hell can I do? And this was very early, and there were a number of emerging uh, campaign groups. Uh, unfortunately, none of them emerged from the organisations that I would have expected to create campaigns against the removal of, of fundamental freedoms, like some of those organizations I mentioned earlier, like the free market think tanks, what happened to Cato, what happened to the Institute of Economic Affairs. And, and I interviewed, and I, I thought, well, I have to do something. And I, I, I aligned myself with, with some of the campaign groups, helped them get off the ground, used my skills as a, a communicator and a marketer a digital marketer to try to get them up and out, you know, so I was, I was involved in the very early days and in, in, the, in the creation of the heart uh, group, which was a counter to sage and, um, and worked with people like Claire Craig and, and Nick Hudson down in South Africa with pan Pandata And, and, and obviously I keep in contact with all of those people, but I thought, well, I, I really need to just do something uh, from a media point of view, to kind of try to get the message out, maybe to to, to support those organisations and getting the message out and doing what I could on social media and so on. So I created the new era on Substack. When pretty much when Substack was created, I was one of the earlier, I suppose, uh, um, bloggers who moved over to the platform, and and obviously other platforms were beginning to censor as well. Uh, obviously, the social media platforms. I did a, a Joel Smalley, who you probably know, who was involved in those early days as well. In some of the campaign groups, um, uh, is is a brilliant resource, and also had his uh, had his own subs has his own sub stack now as well. Uh, but he, in those days, was doing some analysis of the data, particularly around the uh, the infection fatality rate. Associated with, uh, I don't know. COVID-19. I don't know this name. Joel Smalley. How do you spell the name? Joel, Joel Smalley. Yeah, his his Substack is called Dead Man Walking, and uh, in those days he was working with uh, people like Mike Yeadon uh, to compile data, uh, uh, particularly around fatality and and fatality by subgroup and and demographics. And he and I collaborated on a video. Um, and it was called called a tale of two Januarys, and that video really was for me the starting point of all of this. You know, because uh, it it went viral. Um, it went viral, particularly on the social media platforms, and then Facebook banned it. And I thought there's something really weird going on in the world. If I put out a little video showing, all it was showing was that the the death the seasonal death rate in January. Uh, 2021 was pretty much identical to the seasonal death rate in in 2015. You know that's essentially the the purpose of the video. It just showed actually this is not a particularly high spike in fatalities. 
We have seen this many, many times before as a result of flu. Yeah, it doesn't need this disease does not need its own name. It does need it does not need to be described as novel. The only thing that's changed is the basis of diagnosis, namely that we have a test and a test that was inappropriate, unfit for purpose, namely the PCR test. And, and that was the nature of the video. And that was that was banned by um, by by uh, Facebook. And then I got a variety of fact checking organizations doing an analysis of the content of my video, which incidentally was based on all public domain information. And uh, and I thought there is something terribly, terribly wrong. Did they write going to you on. asking There's you to, to did they write to you asking you to retract your statements or to to correct what you were saying, no. these fact checkers, or were you just publicly this is fact check and you're wrong? What what what, what happened to you? That was it. It was just, uh, first of all, I had a misinformation notice put on saying, if anybody watches this, you need to be aware that you should check with the authorities, uh, you know, to get the true information about COVID-19. And then it was removed. And then I closed my, my Facebook account. You know, I, my view is that you, you do not stick around with censors. If people are censoring your content, uh, which they used to want, you know, uh, you know, and, and, you know, people who pr who provide them with the content to, to to provide them with big audiences suddenly being deplatformed, and then it's funny. I deliberately, I I deliberately didn't get into Facebook or even Twitter for um, a very long time because I just saw what was happening. Anybody who spoke the truth got censored, and I thought, why am I going to take yeah. part in this game that's rigged? It's it's I, I'm going to be handicapped right from the beginning. I'm going to be disadvantaged. And then I'm going to be censored. Why am I going to invest any time or energy into this? So I totally get where you're coming well, from. Ironically, ironically, in my case, it wasn't even my own. I, I wasn't even publishing the content of Facebook. It was others on, on Facebook mm. were republishing the video and they were all getting these censorship notices. So going back and, you to know, your video. By the way, can, just can to I, come to Yeah, sorry. I was going to say yeah. about your video, to The Tale of Two Januaries. You know what? I, I have to confess, maths is not one of my strong points. The only reason I got a maths in high school was um, it was a one subject I had a private tutor for. I had to work really hard. I'm just naturally more inclined <laughs> to other subjects. Maths and statistics give me a headache. And I, I, you know, I really did pour over the government's official data, the graphs, the the the, the data tables. And I really struggled. It was it was just so much gobbledygook. I mean, was it deliberately mm. just confusing? You know, it was never it was never an easy comparison, like for like comparison. It was you really had to dig. I felt to get the truth out. And when you did plug on to the the BBC, which I don't do, or the Guardian, all you saw were these massive graphs and rising numbers. You know, more infections, more disease, and it basically naturally instilled a state of fear and anxiety. Was this all just manufactured? No, it wasn't. It was, in fact, I'm uh, coincidentally, I'm, I'm reading. Uh, well, I haven't got very far, I must admit, but I, I, it's it's one one of the titles that I've I've been meaning to read over the last three years. It's Hannah Arendt: The Origins of Totalitarianism. But I was flicking through it earlier, and. Um, there's a there's there's a reference to that technique that was used by the Nazis that they they the government organizations and by the way one of the, one of her arguments was that that 
totalitarianism tends to be overseen by bureaucrats. And one of the techniques that they use to, to uh, confuse the, the population is just to put out loads and loads of data, uh, often which contradicts itself from different agencies competing with each other. And then people just go, you know something, I can't be bothered. You know? Yes. And I suppose people like Joel uh, and, and many other, and, and Claire Craig is, is wonderful in this as well. They're able to, because that's their background in epidemiology and, uh, and pathology and analytics, uh, they're able to uh, bore down into the data, uh, do all the hard work and heavy lifting for us and say, hold, hold on here. This disease is not killing the people that you say it is. You know, this, this disease is, is, is resulting in death largely because you're killing them by radical ventilation programs or denying them access to antibiotics. And, and that and for me was, was revelatory. Then there's also midazolam, remdesivir, yeah. you know, the push on ventilation. I mean, it's kind of, when you look back now, it's kind of scandalous. Absolutely scandalous. And so to come back to your original question, so the new era was that. So I have interviewed, you know, people like Jeffrey Tucker, for example, and Jeff, Jeffrey Tucker, who's who writes for Epoch Times, but um, but created the Brownstone and was behind the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, he also has seen this development of the 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 custodians of free market values the the, the so-called uh, right wing organizations institutions and think tanks moving increasingly towards corporatism and communitarianism and 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 suppression of individual free thinking and and that's to some extent I'm I'm speaking on behalf of Jeffrey here but I think he would agree with me that's part of the reason why um, he created Brownstone, but he's also highlighted this 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 fact, you know, that if if we suppress critical thinking, if we suppress individuals embracing, you know, their skills in order to inform, you know, we are on a slippery slope to t uh, into totalitarianism. And um, and that's why it's been remarkable, you know, to be able to interview some of these people and um, and obviously to shine a light onto the fact that people are doing great work and are not willing to be shut up just simply because the government says so. But also, I I, I there was a, a fabulous uh, video doing the rounds this morning with Nick Hudson from Panda, and he was asked a question about climate change and stuff. I think it was a South African journalist asking. And I think the, the expectation on the part of the journalist was that Nick should go into the sort of minutiae of the detail as to why the climate argument was, it was nonsense. And he says, no, 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 we need to take a step back. We need to look at what's happening. We are being told that these, these things are, glob are, are, are global changes that we all have to be frightened of. And if people are telling you that there is going to be a massive global change that is going to affect everybody in the world, for example, that everybody is going to be susceptible to death as a result of a, of a novel virus, or everybody is potentially going to be subject to a climate emergency, the likelihood is this is a scam. And if you fixate on the detail, and that's sometimes where we need to criticize ourselves, we're fixating on the detail. What we need to do is rise up above it and say, this is a scam and common sense, 
common sense tells us it's a scam and that these guys, the government and the supranational organizations and the corporates with vested financial interests, they are the conspiracy theorists. They are the conspiracy propagandists. And we need to do everything in our power to stand up against it, but just based on sheer clarity and logic and saying this is wrong. We want our democracies back. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that is the only way you can attack this. I feel, I don't know what the term is, where you create a window, a box in which you then force yourself to argue when actually you should never enter into that box in the first place because it's nonsensical. So you're, you're just arguing yeah. things that don't even make sense and f uh, getting bogged down, literally getting bogged down. And the, the, yeah, I think I, I would have to agree with Nick Hudson. You just have to stand back and go, I'm not playing this game. This is ridiculous. This doesn't even make sense. I it's mean, like, I, the one thing I would take issue with Andrew Bridgen on uh, in, in this regard is I think sometimes, you know, he, he references the fact that his degree is in a, a related to virology and so on. And sometimes I think he has a tendency to focus a bit too much on the arguments, you know, the for, and and this and some of some of the things that might be regarded as conspiracy, like gain of function, because you could argue that there is a double whammy at play. So the first attack was they spread the rumor that there was a deadly virus doing the rounds, and then created the the imperative for <clears throat> the vaccination and the vaccination mandates. But that didn't really work. A lot of people realize that this is all, you know, you know, we, we saw through the nonsense, you know, walking around in a one way circle around supermarkets and the perspex screens and the masks. And we realized this is absolutely ludicrous. We're I'm sorry, but we're too intelligent to buy this utter object. Shit. But the thing is, you know, the, the like virus, the, the virus is very stupid. It, it, it can't it can't go round. It can only go straight. <laughs> so. So that's why Absolutely. the plastic. That's why the plastic thing works. It, it doesn't know how to go round things. So you know it, that's the logic <laughs> that they're using. <laughs> it's madness. Anyway, you're saying, uh, or it, can, it can't. It can't affect you if you're eating a Scotch egg as well. Do you remember, <laughs> it, it, got, it got it got to ludicrous proportions. So I think very quickly, most of us. I suspect most of us, even even the people who entered into it. It was play acting. They were sort of virtue signaling. They liked virtue signaling. People have a tendency these days to want to be seen to be part of the cult because it makes them feel good. But I think most people saw saw straight through it, and therefore they were, oh God, we need another imperative. We need we need we need to provide something else. So therefore, they they did a, a limited hangout. They said, you know, it, you know, it could have been lab manufactured. This, this ter because that implies that it actually is still deadly, you know, because some devious scientists working in Wuhan come up with the idea that, you know, we could create a sort of super virus and it leaked, you know, the super virus leaked. And look, we really do need to be scared, you know. So I think sometimes if we focus on the detail, like gain of function and Fauci and and all of this, what we're missing is the fact that all they needed to do was use the media. You know, it was just a media manipulation. And it was clearly designed by people who had vested financial interests. The Chinese made trillions from COVID through PPE and 
and testing and all of the paraphernalia of, of perspex and masks and, and, and the nonsense. And meanwhile, the West made a fortune from, from the vaccination program uh, and, and the corporatists stitched us up royally. So we don't need any new, fresh conspiracies. And I think that's why I would, I would just caution uh, Andrew and others to sort of not Absolutely. necessarily go down their rabbit hole because it's their rabbit hole. It's not ours. Jeff, I, I've said the exact same thing. I've said there's so much I don't know. I don't know if there is actually a virus. I don't know if it's a new virus. I don't know if it was manufactured. I don't know about gain of function. I don't know what lab it came from. Uh, you know, I don't think it's deadly. Um, I don't know who's behind it. You know, Fauci or whoever, bad actors, CCP, DARPA, DOD, you name it. I just don't know all these things. I have lots of questions. I don't know. What I do know 100% is medical ethics, human rights. And I know that these were, were demolished, not just infringed, poked into, you know, you know, they were demolished. Our rights were trampled all over, you know, lockdown, mandates, frankly, are repugnant and disgusting. And the fact that anybody entertained these concepts, you know, fundamentally anti-democratic, anti-human. Um, and to this day, a lot of people don't see this. And to this day, you know, doctors and journalists and politicians, A, don't think it was a bad thing to do, and B, think we should still do it in future. And so mm. my whole point of speaking out is, you know, what's done is done. And while I do care about why, I don't know the answers. And I think we will probably never get the answers. I think the whole fog of war is a deliberate thing. There's been so much information put out and you don't know what is real and what isn't, what is deliberate, limited hangout. It's just to confuse you. All you need to do is stand back, get out of the fog, and then suddenly you can see clearly. You know, and in, if you're in if you're in the fog and you can't see, what what is everyone scared of? The unknown. And you know, fear mm. is incapacitates your critical thinking, the capacity for you to reason objectively. So get out of the fog, do not fear, and go back to your gut instinct and your, you know, your just your values, your common values, ethical values, moral values. And I think, you know, you're right. I don't want to get bogged down in all this stuff, which might be true, but I'm going to leave that to time and history to, to distill out. Right now, what I want to focus on is what are our our rights as human beings, what are the sins and crimes being committed and how can we make sure these do not happen again? Now, sadly, I don't think we can trust our politicians. I think they're all captured or um, compromised. Well, this is not just what I think, but this is also what's been confirmed after I spoke to Andrew Bridgen. Um, if they don't have something on you, they will or they'll threaten you um, materially or otherwise um, or they'll buy you out. He, he sat opposite me and told me he was offered a lot of money and told, be quiet, take this and be quiet. And because he's a man of principle and he can't be bought, he said no. And that's kind of worrying because what does that tell you about the other 649 politicians? And, you know, we're meant to have an opposition party. Oh, and, and what has the opposition yeah. party been opposing? Have you? <laughs> I haven't heard them opposing anything of substance. If anything, they're just 
advocating more of what the Conservatives have been, uh, um, you know, pushing through. That's not an opposition party. Absolutely. Yeah, and and of course the the uh, the Conservative Party, the modern Conservative Party, is modelled on on Blair's Labour Party. You know, Blair, exactly. Em- Blair was the first Prime Minister really to avidly embrace corporatism and. You know, he opened the doors to the uh, to Whitehall to to the corporates, and um, you know he the you know the PPE or sorry the the, the yes. PPP programs, public par- uh, private partnerships, uh, you know the, uh, the funding of just about Pu- every government public post. finance yeah. initiative. So uh, I can tell you right now, a lot of people don't realise that it's absolutely cr- crippled the NHS and the individual trust. So. It was all nonsense. And even then, as a junior doctor I, I, and a medical student, I could see the nonsense. I was like, we're simply making hospitals with a credit card. And the credit card isn't even a government credit card. We're giving the credit card to private institutions and they will then own these hospitals. We have to pay back rent every year, you know, and it's not even a mortgage. After a mortgage, you own the entity we we will we will not own this thing we're just paying back and the the debt is crippling i can't remember i think it's 4 billion 5 billion or something it's a massive amount of um every trust budget allocation to pay back basically on this hospital that will you know fall apart anyway in 30 years time and you know people think this was a great thing and it was a disaster and and it just gave money a to all the big disaster. Balfour and Babcock and God knows what other big companies, Agrip or whatever they are, um, and all the, the the servicing companies, Cervico or whatever they are. You know, it's just the, the NHS has been privatized. People just don't know it. There's just an NHS label logo stamped on top of it, and it's us mm-hmm. the taxpayers' money that continue to fund these private institutions. I mean, the NHS is one just one big gravy train, um. And there's it's not, there's not much public about it. It's just notionally public, um, and it's so corrupt. And you're yeah. right. Yeah, and and it, it wasn't just the NHS. It was just about every aspect of government and and local government as well. Uh, you know, they um, they indebted themselves up to the hilt. And when you're in in debt, you know, my parents used to say this to me. You know, when when you're in debt, you know, you're a slave. You know, you're ultimately the people who uh, you owe money to. Um, you know, they may not be. You know, money lenders will come and break your legs, but they might as well be, frankly. And and as a as a society, we're now in. It, it went over two point five trillion recently of public debt, but that doesn't state the amount of indebtedness uh, that's in society as a result of, say, student loans. And uh, you might as well double that. Um, uh, you know the. And of course, then the the long term commitments to public sector pensions, et cetera, et cetera. The United Kingdom is essentially insolvent. Uh, we have been insolvent probably for over a decade. Uh, there is no possible way that two point five trillion of public debt will ever be repaid. We would have to have a level of austerity the like of which we have never seen, and therefore the the government only really faces. Um, one, it, it, it's looking at only one possible outcome, and that is to essentially take control of the money supply at an individual level, uh, and that's through CBDCs. And it's because ultimately the debt is owned by those big pri- private equity houses. You know, the United Kingdom is owned not by 
the individual citizens uh, or the individual taxpayers, but huge private equity firms, uh, uh, holders of government bonds. Uh, and this is now a globalist movement. And, uh, and no sovereign nation really has any sovereignty any longer. We are a slave nation. And that's that's clearly illustrated by the, the how we uh, elected, in adverted commas, our prime minister. You know, the prime minister being appointed, it's a bit like the legislation, the censorship legislation in Ireland. Apparently, there were four members or four uh, TDs, as the members of parliament are called there, in the uh, in the Doyle uh, rubber stamping this legislation because they, they the members of parliament don't even need to show up. The bureaucrats will take care of it, just as the bureaucrats appointed our prime minister, because he is overseeing, uh, on behalf of the puppet masters, uh, the administration of public debt and uh, and obviously the vast borrowing program that's required. And that borrowing will be at the behest of of global institutions. So we're 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 seeing the uh, essentially. The vassal nations being created as a result of unrepayable debt and and Western democratic nations essentially becoming slave states. And that is that is a level of malfeasance, the like of which we have never seen, except during 1930s Germany. So Andrew Bridgen's um, comparison Analogy. was yeah. relevant in a whole series of different ways. I mean, it's, 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 God, it feels a bit depressing now. I mean, um, it's, what's bizarre is it's actually the government that's created this debt. It's, it was never their money. They spend money that they, they don't actually have. They take it from the public. They spend it irresponsibly. They spend it in a way that um, advantages those that are associated with them, friends, partners, colleagues. I, I, it's all a corruption. I mean, just look at HS2. We do not need this high-speed rail link. Who's benefiting from that? All these contracts. I mean, basically, every politician just profits. They have a public salary, but they have a lot more money. And, you know, you just if you look across the states, the perfect example is Nancy Pelosi. You know, she's worth hundreds of millions of pounds. Right. Where, where did she get that money from? You know, her salary is nothing oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's it's a, a massive inversion of all logic. It's yeah. an inversion of logic. And then, but the reality is we've got a Ponzi scheme. The The West is being run on a, on a fiat-based... Ponzi scheme and it's not sustainable. And the problem is, it looks like us, Joe Blog, is going to be the one that pays for all this nonsense through, you know, restriction in our liberties and our quality of life. They want us to own nothing and be happy. I, yeah, I, and and what what really gets me is this um, this assumption, or or rather, you know, because I, I, it's not an assumption because. In the case of Rishi Sunak, he knows exactly what's happening. You know, he's he's astute, he's intelligent, uh, manipulatable. Yes, certainly, right place, right time. Of course, you know, being involved. Uh, his wife is is uh, is part of a an Indian um, corporatist dynasty as well. But um, the, the assertion that we are in some way responsible or Rather, circumstances are in some way responsible, such as the Ukrainian war, uh, for the creation of inflation is laughably absurd. This is a government that spent nearly half a trillion pounds on COVID response. 
never mind building up the biggest public debt that we have ever seen in post you know per capita post and post war times so this is this is not our fault you know people have been you've I'm gone still, I, disappeared I, yeah no i'm still here don't worry <laughs> carry on i'm still here okay. my camera my camera is overheated so just carry on talking don't worry okay um yeah, I forgot to know what I was saying. Yeah, but so yeah, the assumption that that that, that we are in some way responsible for the debt. You know, I put up a, a a little podcast on my site responding to the chief um, economist at the Bank of England, suggesting that we would just have to sort of uh, face up to the fact that we are going to be poor, like it's got nothing at all to do with the Bank of England. Uh, but the fact is that the Bank of England oversaw. Uh, the, the printing of money and um, uh, and the creation of inflation uh, was nothing nothing to do with us. It's all down to them. They are responsible, but unfortunately, it doesn't look as though they're going to pay the price. They all seem to hang on to their jobs, don't they? Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> all these people that get us into the mess are woefully incompetent or you know compromised. You know, they just they just move on. They just you know it's a turning revolving door uh, any of us if you were involved in you know a fraction of this incompetence or malfeasance we'd be in jail or we'd lose our job but they mm. they just get away with it um so what's the solution jeff how do we get how do we free ourselves of this tyranny this decline of the western civilization what's the answer because um, i'm really struggling i i think we all need to say no but i just see so many people normal people going along with it and buying you know drinking the kool-aid believing all the nonsense that's pumped out of the bbc what's oh, the solution yeah. i think i think most people i think most people deep down know that there's something really bad going on that something is awry uh, i think you can choose to ignore it if you want to but it's clear that the thing is is ultimately going to shake out i do think it's going to get worse before it gets better um Unfortunately, in circumstances like this, it tends to result in war, um, certainly uh, civil war. You know, we're beginning to get to that stage in France. Um, the French have a tendency not to put up with with government bullshit in the same way as, as, as we, unfortunately, in the UK do tend to. It takes us longer to get to that stage, I believe, you know. Uh, and we tend to negotiate our, our way out of problems. The difficulty is that I don't think this is negotiatable. Um, the owners of the purse strings ultimately will want their pound of flesh. Well, I and, think we're dealing um, with I think we're, I think we're, we're dealing with bullies. A, we're dealing with bullies, and hmm. they're psychopathic, hmm. narcissistic, um, sociopathic bullies, evil, and you can't you can't negotiate with those kind of people. I'm afraid to say. Yeah. Yeah. But I think ultimately the buck will stop. You know, we saw it in 2008. Uh, you know, the you know certain e uh, economies in Europe, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, did not bail out the banks. But ultimately, it's been to their to their uh, benefit. You know, it was the case in Iceland where you would go to a, an ATM and the bank had no money. Uh, you know, and uh, the bank bailouts. You know, obviously, we've seen three. U.S. regional banks being bailed out by by the government. Um, apparently, the rot has temporarily s stopped or or is is in sort of suspended animation. 
But it'll probably continue. We'll probably see more bank failures. Um, there's, there's clearly a consolidation in the financial sector going on. You know, we'll probably end up with, what, six or eight major U.S. banks. And, it's, and, a, and to all intents and purposes, those are nationalized banks because the bailout monies are being funded by money printing by the Fed. But the same thing will happen in Europe. European, European banks are much more exposed than U.S. regional banks. So I think ultimately we'll start seeing uh, orchestrated runs on banks in, in Europe, <coughs> possibly in the UK. You know, it was a case in point was, uh, you know, the uh, when um, Silicon Valley Bank went under, essentially its business, its loan book was just handed to HSBC in the UK. So we'll have a few chosen sort of semi-nationalized banks in the United Kingdom. Um, and this process will continue. And then it'll be much, much easier for them to roll out CBDCs. But the key thing is to resist, uh, to think of alternative ways of do, going about your life and going about your business. This, this is what I was uh, going to ask you. We're seeing the emergence of a kind of... Yeah, sorry, Jeff. This is what I was yeah. going to ask you. How can people protect their health and their freedom, their liberty? What steps would you advise? Well, uh, switch off the television. I think your your hint that uh, you know you didn't watch the uh, the coronation was a good one. I think the the television um, uh, and the media, and particularly the BBC, obviously they're in the business of frightening us all, and also uh, encouraging adherence to the preferred narrative. Um, the more we can free ourselves from that, I think our health will be better. I think a lot of people have found that. Just getting back to doing things that they used to do and uh, had forgotten about, you know, going for walks, getting out, staying fit, uh, not eating crap food, uh, not eating, uh, not drinking too much. You know, all of those things have, have become more important, which is a good thing. I think there's some good has come out of the, the lockdown experience. Um, and, and, you know, staying away from manufactured rubbish, frankly, because a lot of the stuff that is peddled by governments, particularly pharmaceutical products, are not for the benefit of our health. You know, these are these are governments like if you look at the United States, the highest rates of more uh, of morbid obesity in the United in, in the world, the United Kingdom, not far behind. Um, uh, you know, they have overseen um, the creation of an, of an incredibly unhealthy population uh, eating incredibly unhealthy food, um, mostly produced by corporations and not designed for the betterment of the people that consume them. And, um, yeah. and, and, and people have been moving away from, well, from things that make life better, you know, getting out, having sun on our skin and being with family and friends and, yep, and yep, I getting agree. back to basics, growing our own food as well. Absolutely. Uh, wish I could. It, well, yeah, we're we're growing as much as we can. We we just got chickens as well, so hopefully we'll be getting eggs soon. Um, I think I agree with all of that. Just returning back to basics, cooking from scratch, um, great ingredients. Um, I also believe in building your community. I don't know about you, but we've almost been divided deliberately and made to fear our neighbors and our you know and distrust 
other people um, and divide us. All this culture war we're seeing and fighting, infighting, and it's all, again, distraction. Distraction from the real people who are controlling us and making our lives difficult, you know? Um, and say yeah, no. We, that, need, we need to say no. Of, yeah, well, the more they can divide, of course, the more they can control. You know, the, the sense of one of the, the things that came out, uh, particularly uh, as the vaccine rollout happened, was the attempt on the part of the government to other or diminish the importance of people who actually were the, are the most important people in our society who have the ability to think for themselves you know the but the act of othering and and making or diminishing the importance of people who just happen to hold a different viewpoint uh was uh, much in evidence during during lockdown and um and that's that's extremely unfortunate and it is and it, and it shows that tendency on the on the part of authority to divide us up and get and get us um you know you know even the, even the left right thing you know the fact that maybe we've moved on from that and and we're now focusing on our common humanity that again maybe is is uh, is a good thing ar arising from this i have to say um and i know he has his critics and i know he's he's you know there's been an attempt to smear him and character assassinate him but uh, Robert Kennedy, I think, has been a breath of fresh air in, in American politics. It's um, it's it's wonderful to hear somebody who uh, is speaking from the heart. He has been a campaigner against um, corporate malfeasance for decades, and and um, and he communicates extraordinarily effectively. And and I think this idea that that our elected representatives should be in public service, and the idea that public service is something that should be revered that we should that we should elect states people in future instead of yes men and women to the, the corporate controllers i think that's a move in the right direction you know and i i do hope that his campaign is successful i think he's causing uh, a lot of ripples uh, in america and i think he's taking um uh, he's, he's, he's causing people to rethink the whole nature of their uh, of their existence and yeah. the, the the extent to which they're being manipulated. And in America, you, I know I know that Asim Malhotra has been banging on about this, and he's planning to make a, a movie about this. But uh, the d degree of dependence that that Americans, in particular, have on pharmaceutical companies is really not healthy. And I would be really concerned that the United Kingdom might go the same way. You I, know, I think like I think we're not far behind. Advertising of pharmaceutical products. Yeah, yeah. I, we're not. But, we're not um, far so behind. Fingers crossed. His campaign goes in the right direction. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, I don't think we are. You know, yeah, and what, the problem is and, we've got politicians. And what, while the who, Americans have advertising. Yeah, I was just going to say, while the Americans have, have advertising direct to consumer, we, we also have a huge lobby organized. And you probably yeah. found it too. You know, every pharmaceutical company um, employs an absolute army of lobbyists who go in, you know, routinely into doctor surgeries and health centers and, and are actively promoting uh, the use of pharmaceutical products when sometimes a five minute conversation between a GP and a patient would work wonders 100 percent. i think going back to robert f kennedy the problem is we're starved of authenticity we're starved of people who are 
actually genuine. All these politicians just seem, seem like they're little puppets and other people are moving their lips and pulling the strings. You know, just having someone who can literally get in front of a mic and say what they think and it's not scripted and it's not buzzwords. You know, like, I don't know about you, I can't remember the last time I actually heard a British politician just speaking like he was talking to us and not off a script. Um, yeah. But the other thing is, yeah. I really don't want to look for a hero or a someone who's going to save us, you know, a messiah figure. I feel like we all need to empower ourselves. We all need to learn to yeah. look within us for the, the savior. And we need to, to make the right choices. We need to do the right things for ourselves and not abdicate that power and responsibility fundamentally to people who don't care about us and want to profit from our misery. Um, so I think there is a great awakening. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you. I, I've, I've met a lot of people who are thinking about how they've lived their life in the past and look back and think, maybe this hasn't just been going on in the last three years. Maybe this has actually been going on for a lot longer and ex has accelerated in the last three years. And really what we need to do is major fundamental changes in the way we look at life, interact with other people, eat our food, exercise, consume TV, et cetera, et cetera. And that gives me hope, you know, just if, if, because it can only go one way as well. People will wake up, will never go back to sleep. It's a one way gate. And right now, while most people are in the system plugged into the matrix, the number of people waking, waking up is increasing and it's only going to go one direction. So let's see, let's see Jeff, what happens. Well, I hope so. So Jeff, yeah. where where can people well, find and you, and, you but... and where can they find you on your Substack? Yeah, so uh, my Substack is well, it's www.thenewera.uk. Uh, uh, so don't forget about the www because it's on Substack. So www.thenewera.uk. Yeah, and there's a load of stuff there. Some guest articles, a lot of interviews, uh, podcasts. Um, uh, you know, Nick, Nick Hudson's on there, Jeffrey Tucker, Andrew Bridgen. Uh, hopefully I can post this interview as well up there. So, Absolutely. yeah, there's a, there's a lot of stuff there. And, um, and um, you know, it's a good way to get connected. There's a, there's a lot of us out there, you know, and it's great that, um, that there are so many people who are awake and are on Substack and are investing so many volunteer hours into this. Um, and uh, that's that's also been uh, incredibly redeeming um, throughout this process. The fact oh, there's, that we have, def there's definitely uh, a lot so of us many, out there. Really decent people. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of us out there. I mean, that's yeah. one of the best things. I mean, I used to always say to my kids, I don't have that many friends. And now my kids say, Dad, you used to say you don't have many friends. You've got so many friends. That your phone's going off all the time. And it's, <laughs> I've definitely found my tribe, you know, and, and it's a really good tribe. Absolutely. Yeah, Ahmad, and it was great to, to meet you in, in person a, a, a few months back and uh, to have these little conversations. And um, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do our bit in terms of getting people to wake up and smell the coffee. But yeah. life, life should be wonderful and, and, and we, don't, we shouldn't let governments try to destroy our lives. That's the most important thing. Remember that government is the enemy. Uh, in all of this and has proven itself to be. And uh, the more we can remind people of that, the be they're certainly not benefactors and they certainly do not have our interests at heart. And again, that's maybe something to come out of this, that 
uh, individual primacy and individual freedom of thought is going to prevail. Absolutely. Jeff, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Thank you. You're very welcome, Emma.